There's a group of people that last Sunday, uh, about 30 people received salvation in the sanctuary. 30 people responded, stood up, and came down, and, and, and didn't just pray right where they are as we do most Sundays, but even took the next step. And I just want to, I just believe heaven went crazy last Sunday morning when, when they saw that. Could we just praise the, them one more time just for taking that step of faith and coming down in front of everybody? And I want to encourage you to be part of that baptism service. Uh, if you've never been water baptized, I want to encourage you to be part of that baptism service that will take place the Sunday following Easter. Sign up and join in with us. So we're going into a series called Sit With Me. And today I want to preach about a life fulfilled. In fact, I believe that God wants us to live a fulfilled life. But in order to do that completely... I believe that there are times when we're going to have to go through things that we might not have necessarily wanted to go through. We're going to have to not just be on the mountaintop with God. And last Sunday, I love Joe Oden. I, I, I love him personally. He's a friend of mine, which is why we, uh, we have him. We have a, a relational connection with him, and he's been uh, involved in my life and my bride, and, and now my children have been uh, impacted by his ministry, and I love what he does. Uh, and we had some great services last Sunday morning, and, and last Sunday night, a powerful time um, in, in, in God revealing himself in a way that causes some skepticism at times. And I get that. And it makes me as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs because I don't want people to leave discouraged or disappointed. But let me just be completely honest. As the pastor of this church, um, I would have thought it was hilarious if Joe Oden would have fell in those chairs right there. I just wanted to say that. That doesn't really, that's not even what I was going to say. But when he jumped up on our chairs, I was like, that's powerful. But man, that'd be funny if he fell. It just would be amusing to me. As long as he didn't hurt himself, I'd help him up and get him right back on. Anyways, that's not even what I was going to say. What I was actually going to say is sometimes when I've been involved in services like we had last Sunday night, I left discouraged. Um, because I didn't experience what I wanted to experience in that service. I would leave disappointed, and I wasn't disappointed at what I experienced. I was disappointed in what I didn't experience. And I know that there have been people in their walk with God that were completely satisfied in what they were experiencing in Christ until they began to focus on what they weren't experiencing. And when I would leave services like we had last Sunday night where almost every person that came forward for prayer ended up in the floor in some manner. Some were asking for prayer and some were like my eight-year-old that just got prayed for because she was asking mommy how much longer this service was going to be. That just, it happens. And, and we leave and we're disappointed or we doubt God. And I've been there. But let me tell you what I did that caused me to be there. And it almost destroyed my faith. The reason that I was disappointed, the reason that I doubted, was because I was basing my belief in God 
on what other people were experiencing with God. I did that with my bride when I would see her experience things in Christ. And I was completely satisfied with what God was doing in my life until I compared what God was doing in my life with what God was doing to her in an altar or even in her life. And it was very discouraging for me. It would cause me to doubt whether God could even move on me that way. But what I realized was God gives every single person exactly what they need right when they need it. Nothing more and nothing less. And that when we begin to pursue a sensation over God's presence, if we're not careful, we can turn the experience of God into idolatry of emotion. You with me? If we're not careful, we can be more focused on the promise. We can be more focused on the sensation than we are very simply on the presence of God himself. We can be more focused on what we want God to do for us than what he wants to do through us. And we can become like Moses and we can have a mountaintop experience with God. And we can come down and it appear that we haven't even been with God. We could come down from the mountain and be more impacted by what the people are doing when we come off the mountain than what God was doing in us when we were up on the mountain. And Moses came down and in anger, he threw the tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had carved and written with his own hand. And God said to Moses, you know what you have to do now? You have to go back up to the mountain again because you did not receive what I brought you up there the first time for, except for this time, I'm not doing it for you. You're going to do it yourself. And when we don't experience or we don't receive what God has for us individually, and then allow that to be used to impact somebody else the way that we're supposed to, then we will make mistakes and continue to have to go to the same place over and over again when God wants to take us somewhere new. He wants to give us the next step, the next experience, the next moment. It's why God didn't allow Joshua to stay in Jericho. What a great moment that was when the praise of God's people brought down the wall of their enemy. We would want to build a tabernacle and set up the first church of Jericho and live there for the rest of our life. We'll call it the spirit-filled praise house of walls coming down church of Jericho right there in the midst of the rubble and just stay there for the rest of our eternity. But that's not what God allowed. God didn't allow Elijah to stay on Mount Carmel. God sent Elijah down from Mount Carmel. Even though he experienced the tangible presence of God, the fire of God came down from heaven, consumed the altar, and licked up the water. And yet Elijah ended up in a cave alone by himself. But listen to me. The same power of God that consumed that altar was the same voice that he whispered in the wind when Elijah was alone and by himself. Because God knows what you need when you need it. And he doesn't want you to compare what he needs to do in you with what he has to do in somebody else. Peter is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. 
Peter, James, and John see Jesus, Jesus metamorphosized in their very own eyes. And Peter says, we should build three tabernacles right here. And God says, shut up. We're not staying here. This isn't what I brought you up here for. I didn't bring you up here so you could tell me what you want to do. I brought you up here so I could tell you what I want to do. Now go back down off of this mountain and follow Jesus to the cross, and I'll show you the resurrection. But Peter missed it because he was more interested in the mountain than he was the mileage that followed. And God's got to help us get past that. And I believe that when we understand that Jesus gives so that we will go, we can take the next step. See, God's promises for us are original. They're original. God is way too creative to just stay in the same place and keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Not that he's not willing to, but he's more creative than that. His mercies are made new every morning. And he has a new objective and a new goal for you to walk in, for you to discover every day. Because God doesn't get old. Come on, somebody. He's a good God, and he's always got another step for us to walk in and follow. There's another example of the, the cloud of God coming down on the tabernacle that the Israelites had built this is specifically noted in the book of Numbers. You see the cloud of God come down and, and just reside over the tabernacle. And the people knew that as long as the cloud was the presence of God resided over the tabernacle, that that's where they were supposed to stay. But listen to me, when God's presence would lift off of that tabernacle, when they sensed the presence of God through the cloud lift up off of the tabernacle, they didn't stay there and beg God to come back. They packed up their stuff and followed the cloud. I'm telling you that there's a place God wants to take you that's going to require more than the places that you've already been or the things that you've already seen. His promises are eternal and they're available, but we have got to stop seeking him for what he can do and fixate ourselves on what he's already done so that we can move forward into something new. Because we're not here for what God can do for us. And a lot of people I've seen over the years, a lot of people will come to God with an agenda. Well, I'll try this Christianity thing because everything else hadn't worked out. And when that agenda doesn't work out the way that they hoped it would, then God failed them too. But what they never understood was, God's already done everything that you ever need. He just wants to learn how you to learn how he wants to use you into the lives of other people and beyond yourself. But we want to keep coming to the same place for the same thing. God wants to do something different. I believe that God fulfills his best when we are connected. God fulfills his best when we are connected. Connected to who? Connected to him. And his body. Connected to Jesus and other people. So we spent six weeks on these promises, the I wills of God. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will free you. I will redeem you. And for the next few weeks, those first three promises, you're going to see how individualized they were. 
But this fourth promise involves more than just you. It's not until we get to the fourth promise that we see God connect us to something bigger than ourselves. That first promise of salvation, or knowing Jesus, that's the objective of our weekend services, by the way. It's why we meet on Sundays. It's the heaven or hell issue that we're so focused on making more room for more people. Well, do y'all just care about numbers? Absolutely. Because every single person represents a soul that is headed to heaven or headed to the eternal separation from a father that loves them in a place called hell. And so absolutely we are concerned with people getting to know Jesus. And the way that we do that, the number one way that we do that, is we gear our Sunday morning services towards people who do not yet know him. We minister to the 99, but we are after the one. The second thing that God said he would do is he said, I will free you. And we call that finding freedom. And we believe that that happens in freedom groups and small groups because you develop relationship with other people. It's still about you. It's still for you. It's individual for you. But you develop relationships because you don't develop relationships in rows. We gave you 30 seconds to meet and greet somebody. And most of us came in and sat down and most of us will stand up and leave. And, and they won't get mad that they didn't meet five people. They'll get mad if I didn't shake their hand. Come on, somebody. <laughs> because you don't develop relationship in rows. You develop relationship in circles, around tables, in homes, in small groups, amongst people that are like-minded or enjoy the same things. And you find freedom there. God said, I will redeem you. It's that cup of redemption. We call it discovering your purpose, which is why we have a structure to facilitate what God wants to do in next steps. And we connect you to the body of Christ. We help you discover more about yourself and then find your place to serve. You're going to see why that's so important before the end of the day. And it's in this fourth and final promise that we spent six weeks in three promises and actually never got to because I talk too much and I get hung up on too many things. But for the rest of this three-week series leading into Easter, we're going to talk about the cup of praise. The Hallel cup. I'm going to explain that. It's the cup of fulfillment. It's where you connect to the body of Christ and you impact eternity. Our structure for that is plugging you into a dream team. Is helping you dream and discover your ministry. And if we don't have it, then we create it. And we partner with you to lead it. And people find fulfillment beyond themselves. Why? Because I believe this statement, I need you to write this down. If you have your notes, it should be highlighted right there in your notes. If you don't, you can pull the notes up, eunicechurch.com slash notes. If you don't have either one of those, I want you to understand, I believe with all my heart, that God always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. I believe that's why Jesus came. I believe that Jesus died for sin. Hear me. He died for sin, but he was resurrected for life. And Jesus wants you to stop dying to the same sin over and over and over again and be resurrected to the fulfilled life, not that he died for, but that he was resurrected for. 
God desires for you and me and everybody under our influence to live a fulfilled life. And my wife thought this was funny, so I'll do it again. But I, I'm not talking about like a, like a your best life now. I'm, not, I'm, I'm doing the Joel Osteen curly mullet thing. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking Although I don't dislike him. He's a very positive person. I wish I woke up that positive. But I positively wake up that angry. But So I just I need coffee. That's, that's what helps me get through the morning and, um, and into the afternoon. But I, that's not what I'm talking about. But I do believe... That God wants you to live a fulfilled life. Well, why do you believe that? John 10, 10. It's very simple. New Living Translation, the Bible says, the thief, his purpose. This is Lucifer, that old devil of old, Satan. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And we have a head knowledge of this, but we don't have a heart understanding of this. See, what you need to understand is that the devil is limited to that process. Why? Because that's what God's Word says. And God's Word doesn't return void, it doesn't change, and it shall inherit forever. That's what God's Word does. And the Bible says that the devil is limited to stealing and then killing and then destroying. In other words, before he can ever kill you or destroy you, he's got to steal your identity from you. Before he can ever kill you or destroy you, he's got to distract you. He's got to discourage you. He's got to steal your motivation for life. He's got to steal your inspiration. He's got to steal your identity. Because if he can do that, he's a thief. And if a thief can just get a foot in the door, then they can establish a stronghold in the house. And he will begin from there to steal, to kill, and destroy. So if you can remind him who you are, then he'll remember where he has to go. If you can remember your identity in Christ, then he doesn't have another battle tactic for you. But if you allow him to begin to steal the fulfillment that God paid for you to walk in, then he will eventually kill you and destroy you. That is his plan and it is his purpose. But thank God that Jesus didn't leave us to fight him alone. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance, that you would live fulfilled. Awesome. Then why are there so many miserable Christians? Why are there so many miserable pastors? Listen to me. Hear me. Jesus did not give his life and resurrect himself from the dead so that we could be the most miserable of these. In fact, God doesn't want you to be miserable so somebody else can experience joy. Your misery is not somebody else's victory. Jesus' victory is your victory, and he wants to use you to bring them a joy that they can only find in him as well. So why doesn't that happen? Well, a couple of reasons. One, we need to remember we're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our past. Too often, we focus on what God has called us to stop. We need to stop sinning. We need to stop cussing. We need to stop drinking, smoking, swearing, etc., etc. We got to stop this. And, and as long as, as we stop doing what we're supposed to do, listen to me, as long as you're focused on what you've stopped, you're still focused on the thing that you stopped. And that thing is still in the way of where God wants to take you. 
You can, you can celebrate victory over your past, but you should be walking in victory for your present. You should be looking for victory in your future. But way too often, we continue to define ourselves by our past, whether we're satisfied with where God has brought us from or we're still stuck in it over and over and over again. Listen to what David said, Psalm 38. David said in verse 4, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. I, I just, when I hear, I, I just think, I'm thinking Eeyore right now. That's all I can, I feel like Eeyore is, 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 is writing scripture. In verse 5, um, for those of you who don't know who Eeyore is, it's a, there's a new movie called Christopher Robin. You should go check it out. Okay, so um, verse 5, my wounds fester and stink. Guys, look, this brother's having a bad day. Let's just... I don't know what he's doing, but my, my, they fester, and I don't know why he's smelling them. I don't know what's going on, but this is why, because of my foolish past, because of my past, I'm bent over and racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. All I hear is the Grinch going, boo-hoo. That's all I can hear in my head right there in that moment. But listen, and it's funny and we laugh, but the, the, the harsh reality is, is that that's how a lot of us live. We keep focusing on our past when God wants to show us a future. And the only thing that we have to do is 1 John 1, 9, confess our sin because he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from wickedness. He is willing to forgive us and make us new. The next thing that we do is we allow culture to define us. Listen, I want to say emphatically, we as the people of God are not defined by culture. We are not defined by culture. But all too often, we allow culture to influence us more than we influence culture. And God's heart is that he would be able to put a group of people in the midst of a culture and that group of people who believe in his son and are filled with his spirit would be the light shining in the darkness that causes the culture to shift its current direction and turn itself back to the God that they say that they believe in. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul writes, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people. Now, I don't know what all he was doing in Galatia that the people would understand that he was obviously not trying to win their approval. It may have been something like, hey, pastor, why don't we have more services like we had last Sunday night? And Paul maybe said something like, I don't know. Why don't you serve God like you're supposed to every day? I don't know what happened. Maybe he said stuff like that. Nobody said that to me, by the way. I would not preach that way if somebody said that to me. I don't know what happened. I don't know what Paul did or what Paul said, but Paul needed to write a letter and make sure that they understood, listen, I'm not here because I'm seeking your approval. You didn't appoint me. You didn't position me, and you're not going to promote me. I'm here for an audience of one, baby. He created 
created me, he positioned me, and he can promote me or he can take me out. As long as I'm doing what he sent here, me here to do, then I'm perfectly fine with you not approving me because the moment that I begin to change what God is telling me to do in order to seek your approval is the moment that I value your opinion more than his anointing. Come on, somebody. And I'm not going to value the opinion of a man that didn't position me and put purpose inside of me more than I am going to value the one that created the man. And as long as I'm right with him, I'm going to be all right. I don't do that. If pleasing people were my goal, look, look what he this. I wouldn't even be a, I wouldn't even serve Jesus. If I was here to please people. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I could have made a lot more money doing something else. I could have stayed a Jewish elite and a Roman citizen. But I'm not here to please anybody. I'm here because God sent me with a purpose. And God sent you with a purpose into your culture. Not to adjust to it, but to impact it for the sake of eternity. It's the last thing that we do, we make the mistake of doing, is we try to, try to do this thing alone. Try to do this thing alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 8. It says, this is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. And so Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Listen, you, you were not meant to do this thing alone. And I don't mean that you have to be married in order to make it. In fact, for the first 1,500 years of the church, it was more expected of a believer to be single than married. And now we think that there's something wrong with people if they're in their mid-20s and they haven't gotten married. But maybe we need to stop teaching people to wait for their spouse and start teaching people to wait in Christ and find fulfillment in Him alone so that when He presents them their spouse, they'll actually be ready. That's another sermon for another day. You're not ready for that one. But it doesn't have to be your spouse. It, it, it can be a friend. It can be another individual. It can be a like-minded believer that you connect to. Because the Bible says that if you connect with somebody else, you can stand back to back and you can conquer. But when you put Jesus in the midst of two or three, a threefold cord is not easily broken. A three branded cord, braided cord does not come apart. It can't be separated. But a lot of Christians are separated because they try to do this thing alone. A lot of believers end up more broken than they were because they don't understand what Jesus was trying to shout and say in John chapter 7. In John 7 verse 37, the Bible says on the last day of the feast, in the middle of the room, during lunch, the great day, Jesus stood up in a chair like Joe Oden. Jesus stood up in McAllister's while everybody was trying to enjoy a good meal. And he cried out, he yelled, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Is it really that crazy to be obedient to God? No matter the situation, no matter the place. That when God says speak, we speak. And when he says come, we come. 
That he says, come to me, and we understand that he wants us to settle in and spend time with him. Now, verse 39, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I told you recently at the beginning of that last series about these four cups located in Jewish history, and, and I was one of those people. And so I just always assumed that, that the Last Supper included the bread and a cup. Um, but it's more likely, Jesus being Jewish, that he was celebrating the same Passover with his disciples for the very last time, by the way. But he was celebrating that Passover with his disciples, and he would have been celebrating that in the same way that the Jewish people would have celebrated it. And they didn't have one cup, they had four. The first cup, all based on those promises that I read in Exodus chapter 6, the first cup was the cup of sanctification or salvation that I will bring you out. And they would drink out of the first cup, and, and they were reminded that, that God wanted to save them. Then they would take the second cup, and out of the second cup, they were reminded of the promise of freedom, that I will free you, and they would drink from the second cup. They called it the cup of deliverance. Then they would take the third cup, and it was called the cup of redemption, and they would drink from the cup of redemption, and they would remember that God didn't just save them and free them, but he redeemed them for a new purpose that was not connected to where they had been. And then finally, we have this fourth cup. I was made four cups of wines. Maybe that's why they called it this, but this was the fourth cup. It was the cup of praise. Like, everybody's happy now. <laughs> it, was, it was the fourth cup. And it was the cup of praise. It was the cup of, it was the Hallel cup. And, and Moses writes about this in Exodus, Exodus 6, verse 7. Watch what he says. God promised in this cup of Hallel, this, this cup of praise, is I will claim you. No longer just individuals, but as my own people. I, I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, you can be saved and still doubt. You can, you can experience deliverance and have a devil cast out of you and find freedom, but you can still experience doubt. You can be redeemed with a new purpose and a new objective that's completely separate from your old lifestyle, and yet you'll still doubt. But when you allow God to claim you as his people and put you as a part of the body, then you will know. Only then will you know I'm God. Because I put you a part of something bigger than yourself. This isn't even biblical. It's actually scientific. And I love it when science finally catches up with what God has been saying for a really long time. Many of you have maybe heard the, the social scientist Abraham Maslow. Maybe you have heard of his hierarchy of needs. If you Google his name or you Google the hierarchy of needs, you'll, you can click on an image and it'll show you a, a triangle with different colors and these phases of needs. And science proving scripture in this passage, for the longest time, Abraham Maslow had studied this, and he came up with these three basic needs in eight forms. 
He said the, the first one is that we all have these basic physical needs. We've got to drink. We've got to eat. Come on, somebody. We need to rest. We need to cut our fingernails. Bless the Lord. All the junior high, you got to put on deodorant, baby. I'm just trying to help you. We have physical, our, we have physical needs. Right, some of you not in junior high, the deodorant thing, it still applies. Okay, so we have physical, basic physical needs, but then we also have another basic need for safety. Like, we need to feel secure. Uh, and when we don't have that safety and security need, then, then we become afraid, right? It's, it's one of the things that babies in their infancy, they hate the most, is it, if you ever seen a baby just be laying there perfectly fine and all of a sudden <clears throat> they feel like they're falling. They feel like their safety need is in danger, their, their need for security. Those are the basic needs. It goes, he goes into the psychological needs. As we, we have this need for love. We have a need inside of us to love and be loved. But listen, one of the problems with this need is that a lot of people are trying to experience this outside of God, and God is love. And we were created in the image and likeness of God, so for the only way that we can love and be loved the way that we were intended to is if we're in Christ, and we are compelled by the love that he puts in us. Otherwise, we try to do what Adam and the woman did, and we try to know God without being with God. We try to gain knowledge without being in his presence. We try to experience his love that only he has to offer, but it doesn't work out any better for us than it did for them because the only way to know true love is to know him. The next thing is, is esteem. Now, this is a little bit different, okay? There's a difference between love and affection. Guys, I'm trying to help you, okay? Um, there's this love language called words of affirmation, and this isn't limited to men. I, I actually feed off of this I like for my wife to give me words of affirmation. In fact, if she's not affirming me with her words, I will keep saying the same thing over and over again in different ways until... That's sometimes why I go so long in here. Just by the way, if y'all just give a little, oh me, amen, that was for you, something. I don't know. It's, it's every, occasionally I'll move on to the next point, but it's just words of affirmation. Okay, and, and this is what... This, sometimes we're not careful, we just... We've got these people, we have this need for esteem. And if you don't give them words of affirmation, it doesn't matter. Like, you can pat them on the shoulder, you can shake their hand, you can give them a gift. Like, been giving me no gift. Trying to come up over here and rub on me. Ain't talked to me all day. Come over here, rubbing on my shoulder. You can go rub on somebody else's shoulder you want to talk to. Share your life is more than in your hands. You better speak, boy. I don't know what it is for you. I'm just, if you don't have words of affirmation in your life, some people we need, we just, just basic human need. He moves into the next, and, and, and he thought that Abraham Maslow, he thought, this is, this is it. He goes into cognitive, this need to learn. We've got to learn and we've got to grow. Mortimer J. Adler wrote a book called How to Read a Book. <laughs> it's awesome. Made millions, by the way. Brilliant. One of the things that he said in his book on how to read a book, which is the stupidest thing ever, but he said that when we cease to grow, we begin to die. In other words, that's why our vision is to meet people and grow closer to God together, because I understand that when you stop growing, you start dying. We have a, a need for 
aesthetics. In other words, like when it's 40 degrees in March and it's gloomy, I don't know, just hypothetically, um, raining all the time in places that it does that. Thank God we don't live there. Uh, we'd be so sad. But we have this need. We have this need for it to go back up to 65 because 70 is too hot. 65 degrees and, and all those flowers to bloom and the sun to come back out and everything to be clean and nice and pretty. You know, unlike the bathroom at the rest stop, like the nice one at the hotels. Just if you're ever on a road trip, don't stop at the gas station. Anyways, so we have that need. It's aesthetic. We have a need for things to be nice. And he thought this was the highest. He called it the, the self-actualization need. It's the need to fulfill your utmost potential. And if you, as an individual, fulfill your highest potential, then you have reached the pinnacle of existence, according to Abraham Maslow. But... They kept studying this thing because they noticed that people were achieving this. People were rising to this occasion. They were fulfilling their utmost potential. And yet, Elvis Presley was still dying of an overdose. Former Super Bowl MVPs were committing suicide. And people who had reached all the fame and fortune and success that the world had to offer were still just as miserable as the people that were living under the bridge. And they thought, there's something wrong. Something doesn't add up in, in Maslow's theory. So they kept studying, and they came up with this final phase. And they called it the need for transcendence. In other words, to define it clearly, it was the need to belong to something bigger than yourself. Well, thank God, all the social scientists called up with a 3,500-year-old promise stated in the book of Exodus that God said, I will bring you out of Egypt. I'll save you, but that's not the biggest deal. I'll deliver you. I will help you find freedom, but that's not even the most impressive thing that I want to do. I will help you be redeemed for a new purpose, but I'm telling you, you're still going to struggle until I take you as my own people, until you transcend beyond yourself and you fulfill an objective that is bigger and goes beyond your own life. That's why we call it impacting eternity. Whether you're shaking a hand, parking a car, changing a diaper, or feeding kids on the way home on a Friday afternoon through a ministry that you dreamed up yourself and now we as a church getting to partner with, I will take you as my own. I will claim you as my people. I will be your God and then you will know you will exceed expectations you will experience the cup of Hallel the cup of praise Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 is this Hallel Psalm and the Bible says that in that we serve this incredible God whose mercies exceed our own understanding. And the, the Levitical priest would read 113 through 118. And the people would stop and listen to him read. And then they would yell in one, one accord, Hallelujah! Hallel to our God. Let praise be to our God. 
And they would find fulfillment as a body that they didn't find as an individual. I almost got a cow tongue, but that's gross. But I really wanted to get one um, and just kind of wave it around at you. I, I really wanted, I, I was trying to find one of those like hands, those rubber hands you just, you know, and just wave it at you. And, and just as a, but now I've explained it so you get it. Listen to me. A hand without a body has no purpose. Okay, a, a tongue without a mouth is gross, unless it's very well prepared um, by a Cajun. Okay, it's, but it's gross otherwise. And listen, hear me, hear me, listen, look, look. The greatest mind in the world, the greatest mind that's ever existed is dead without a body. Because ultimate fulfillment only takes place in the Hillel cup. It's why Jesus said, hey, we're going to drink this one more time. But then you're going to not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because from here, the only way that you can experience the Hillel praise is when you're connected to me and my body. So eat the bread, drink of the cup, and connect to my purpose with my people, and you will walk the life of fulfillment that I died for, and now I'm resurrected to. And that's, that's just good preaching there, but hang on, because there's a problem. See, God's people, we want to experience, we want an experience with God, but we don't want to live for God. Let me say, a young woman, this is a shocking example, I'm looking around, a, a young woman, she wants to marry a man of God, but she dresses like she wants a pimp. I'm just saying, it's the culture we live in. We, young men, I want a pure bride, holy, spotless. And yet, when they're alone, they fill themselves with perversion and fantasy that no woman in God's name could ever live up to. God's people. We want an empowered relationship with God. I want an encounter with the Most High God. But we pay more for TV than we'll ever give to the church. I'm just saying. In fact, we spend way more time listening to stuff that we're not supposed to than we ever spend reading His Word, which we were created to be fulfilled by. Now, that's heavy preaching, and I get it. But listen to me. Here's the problem. Everybody wants to experience the life that Jesus has to offer. The problem is nobody wants to lose their life in order to receive it. See, everybody wants to be resurrected, but nobody wants to be crucified. I'm preaching now. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. And the only way that you receive the resurrected life is when you lay, your, lay yours down. The only way that you receive and walk in the resurrection, complete fulfillment, is when you begin to live beyond yourself and connect to the body. Ultimate fulfillment, last thing I'll say and we'll pray. Ultimate fulfillment is this. It's clearly biblically defined. Ultimate fulfillment is achieving the will of God as the people of God. Then you will know that I am.